Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. We are one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. For more information about who we are or where we meet, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. If you've got your Bibles, go to John 13. Uh, verse 1, it will also appear up behind me and Anoush will click through at the appropriate moments. Um, but we will read John 13, start at verse 1 through to verse 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God's and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and lords and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I am your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. That was a pretty intense Dinner time, wasn't it? I mean, that's the, the, they're all sitting around for dinner and there's intensity there. There is a lot going on. There's actually quite a lot of tension in this room, in this gathering, it feels. There's, uh, there's so much going on. You always feel like you can reach out and touch the tension. It's quite of a, a, a thick variety. And, but there are lots of competing agendas there. So lots of people behaving quite differently. So you've got people even showing off a little bit, perhaps like Peter. You've got people who are very, very quiet. So there's numbers of disciples there who don't say anything at all. You've got people who don't want to be there. Judas, for example. And there's a lot going on. And I don't know if you've ever been to a social event like that, where you can feel all of the different kind of agendas and anxieties in the room. And yet there's this one man in the middle of it all, Jesus, who completely understands everything that's happening. He's not one of these people who's at a family gathering and there's all of these competing things happening and they don't notice because they're blissfully unaware of what's going on, which is usually me at a family Christmas. But actually Jesus fully understands everything that's happening, but is completely self-assured as he's there, completely trusting in God's and fully intending to finish what he started. Completely confident, but not arrogance. Completely trusting God. It's amazing. And we get this picture then of, of Jesus as the servant king. 
This picture of the servant king that he plays out for us actually gives us a massive clue about Jesus, who Jesus is, how he thought of himself, but also a massive clue about what he intended to happen when he was gone, about how we are to become like Jesus. In fact, how his church, so how his people are meant to behave. So we're going to dig into this a little bit this evening and look at Jesus as the servant king and try to understand what's going on and apply it to ourselves. So it says right at the beginning, it was just before the Passover festival. A Passover festival is a fascinating festival that still happens today and about a lamb that is offered up. And in this, it's John giving us a big clue. Okay, Jesus is the lamb that is going to be offered up. And what do we mean by that? Well, as they were celebrating Passover, it was a reminder for themselves of Israel, of their their story. So uh, these people at this dinner would have been Jewish people, and they were sitting there remembering the story of breaking free of slavery in Egypt, of the plagues that were sent by gods uh, to confront Pharaoh to to let the Jewish people go, escape from Egypt. And then there was the final plague that was sent, the final plague of death. And the angel of death goes over Egypt and takes the firstborn of every house. Unless you had obeyed what God had told you and as he instructed to the Israelites to to kill a lamb, to uh, then put its blood over the door and then the angel of death would pass over. And that's the Passover festival. And that's what they were doing as they sat there. They were thinking about these things. They are remembering the defeats of death. But they don't realise that actually Jesus is sat with them as the ultimate lamb, as the ultimate defeater of death. He will permanently defeat death. And that's kind of the context John has just set for us as he tells us this little story. Okay, just remember, it's Passover festival. Jesus is the lamb. And it talks about that Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So Jesus knows what's going to happen to him. He knows he's the lamb. He knows what his role is in this. He knew that he would defeat death, but he also knew how that was going to happen. He knew that actually, yep, I am going to suffer and die. I know that this is coming to me. That is an immense pressure to be under at that moment, isn't it? Jesus knew what was coming. Imagine that pressure of knowing, okay, in a few days I am going to die. That's how this is going to work. How we respond under pressure says a lot about us and says a lot about Jesus here in this moment. There's a, a famous England rugby union coach uh, and his, uh, his England team won the World Cup a number of years ago. And he would always say to his players, you need to think clearly under pressure. And it became their running joke. They need to think about teacup. Think clearly under pressure. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing at this moment. He knew crucifixion was coming. Not only that, he knew it was a public humiliation was coming his way. He knew that he would be arrested and then it would be a false trial and then he would have an agonising death and that that was days away from him. But he also understood that resurrection was coming as well. So he knew how this whole story played out, but had to go through death to defeat death. So as all of this is happening at this dinner time, as they're sat together, Jesus understands all that's going on. He knows that this is some of his last time he'll get with his disciples. What does he decide to do? 
Does he like kind of open the Bible and do, let's do a Bible study to explain what I need you to do next? Or let's do like a a sermon. It can be interactive. You can ask questions, whatever. Actually, he doesn't do that. He has dinner, serves his friends. And it's like he's acting out a little story in front of them. It's almost like a a little bit of theatre, a little bit of street drama for them to kind of observe and then realise what's going on. And even perhaps it's to observe and then remember later on. But in this piece of drama, in this little bit of theatre, he's showing them a few things about love. He's showing them that love actually is the foundation for everything that he is building. That love, not only that, beats evil. And that love is to be copied as well. So let's look at this as love as the foundation and we see this in those kind of verses from uh, verse 2 to verse 5 as, as we see the evening meal kind of progresses and that Judas is there and he has been prompted by Satan. He knows what he's going to do. He knows he's going to betray. And yet Jesus goes and washes the feet of his disciples, takes off his outer clothing, wraps a towel around his waist, goes from one to the other, washing and then drying their feet. And it's actually a a very well-known story, this. Actually, I think perhaps even people who don't go to church very often would know the idea of Jesus washing people's feet. It's one of those kind of pictures of Jesus that sits in our culture. And it's perhaps easy to get the wrong end of the stick about this, actually. Jesus, as he is doing this, is pointing forward to something. He's pointing forward, actually, to his own death and to his resurrection, And he even says, look, you don't quite realise what I'm doing right now. As I'm acting this out in front of you, you're not quite getting it. But later you'll understand. Later the penny will drop and you'll get it. And whether he was thinking, once I'm resurrected and I'm back at that moment, you'll realise. Perhaps once they've been filled with the spirit of Pentecost, perhaps at that moment you guys will understand what I was doing. And you do wonder at Pentecost in the days after as the Holy Spirit had fallen as uh, people started to become Christians and get saved, that the disciples perhaps started reflecting back on some of the things that Jesus did and some of the things he said. And one day they thought, oh, that's what he meant. And I think this is one of those occasions. He's explaining his death death and resurrection are the foundation point for everything. They are the explanation of what love is. And for John, as he writes his gospel, uh, the idea of uh, love is really very, very important to him. He talks about how God saved us, uh, sent his only son. He loved the world so much. He sent his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish. Love is a very big deal. And this, is, this little picture is an explanation of that. By this foot washing, Jesus is explaining what love is. But to wash feet in this way, actually at that time, is the work of slaves. That's what the slaves would do. And even some Jewish thinkers of the time thought, look, if you've got a Jewish slave, don't get them to wash the feet. Get the non-Jewish slaves to wash the feet. It It was so at the bottom of the social structure. It's what the people at the very bottom did. And so in doing this, Jesus says, I'm becoming a slave to do this to love my friends, to serve you, to act out this idea of love in front of you, I'm going to become a slave. I'm going to put myself at the bottom of the social structure in this moment. Actually, years later, 
the Apostle Paul, he wrote to a church in Philippi and uh, he, he wrote to encourage them uh, to look to Jesus. And in, in one particular passage, he says, look, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Je- as Jesus. So as you uh, look after each other, as you are a church together, as you try and grow and grow as disciples and see people saved, have the same mindset as Jesus. And Jesus' mindset was that he was God, and yet he didn't consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing and took on the nature of a servant. So he's kind of describing the, the foot washing at the Last Supper there, isn't he? He said, look, he was God. And that, that was where he was, but he decided not to use that. He decided to put that down, and he made himself nothing. He became a servant. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So we have this picture of Jesus at dinner letting go of his rightful position to elevate us. It's an incredible picture of letting go of equality, isn't it? We live in the time of equality where we rightly fight for the equal rights of various different groups of people and that's an important part of our society. But yet we have a picture of Jesus here saying, actually, I don't want equality at this moment. I'm letting go of equality so that other people can win. He was the most powerful person in that room at that moment. In fact, he was the most powerful person in the entire universe in that room. And how does he use that power? Actually, he decides to put it down for a moment. So he says, I'm not going to use that power. I'm going to serve you. How we use power is a, a big question of our time and of our society, isn't it? What we do with the power that we have or what other people who are powerful, how they choose to use it. And actually, Jesus shows us. He says, well, I put it down so I can elevate other people. It's an incredible picture of leadership under pressure, isn't it? And love is the foundation of this, a a sacrificial love. And sacrificial love isn't love that's a doormat. It's not a love that is easily bullied. It's not a love that is a people-pleasing love. But it is sacrificial and it is costly. And it does put other people above ourselves but this love also beats evil and Jesus shows them as he does this little bit of theatre as he kind of acts this out in front of them he's actually showing them how he's going to deal with evil how he's going to do deal with sin so rebellion against God this idea that we have um, autonomy from God we are separate from him we are better than him actually how does he deal with that and at this dinner, this kind of this gathering of friends as they remember Passover, there is a sense as you read this story that evil is in the room, isn't it? And it even talks about actually Judas was there and the devil had prompted him. So evil had some influence there, it prompted Judas to betray Jesus. And also Peter was there and Peter talks a bit. And we know that also Peter betrayed Jesus in some way. And actually, in this story, Peter is very expressive in his commitment to Jesus, very much the religious keynote. You always know that Peter's in the room because you hear him. He's very external in his talking and processing and very passionately, I'm committed to Jesus. You can wash my 
Wash my feet and my hands and, and my head and everything. You just, whatever you want to watch Jesus, I'm there for that. But then he would betray Jesus. That's what would happen. He would deny he'd even never met him, let alone have his feet washed by him. And the rest of the disciples are kind of utterly silent. It's almost like a passive, stunned silence. And when we read passages like this, I think we're supposed to imagine where we would find ourselves, perhaps, in this story. And as the the, uh, gospel writers, they they had particular audiences in mind as they wrote their letters and they would have gone to churches. And I think they wanted them to read this and think, well, where do I fit in this? And perhaps we like to think of ourselves maybe as, well, I'm I'm quite serving. Perhaps I would be a bit like Jesus. I'm on at least one rotor. Perhaps that would be me. We're good servants, right? I suspect, actually, we probably have more in common with Peter and Judas in this moment, perhaps the silent disciples. And Jesus, as he plays this out in front of them, he doesn't ignore their sin. He doesn't turn a blind eye to evil. It's interesting that there is this influence of the devil on Judas, but he doesn't point at it, he doesn't call it out directly, but he does deal with it. And we see this in the conversation with Peter. And he came to Simon Peter and he says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realise what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And again, we see Peter saying, no, you're never going to wash my feet. So Jesus answers him. And this is a massive clue here. Unless I wash you, you have no parts in me. And then Peter reacts in a very over-the-top way, doesn't he? Wash my hands and my head as well, really because he doesn't understand particularly what is going on. But in this moment, Jesus is explaining, look, this is how I'm going to defeat evil, everyone the evil that kind of is stalking this, this festival, this dinner time. Actually, evil that we see stalking our society, in our worlds. The brokenness and corruption we see. This is how I'm going to deal with it. Unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Jesus cleans us. That's how he's going to deal with evil. And the cleaning brings us to him. Brings us into the people of God. Brings us into the church family. Jesus is telling all of his disciples who are sat with him, but he's also telling us he is going to wash us clean. Now, as you read this story, you can, perhaps it's easy even to kind of undermine the intention of Jesus here, even slightly reduce it because this foot washing thing is so stark and so unusual. Uh, And actually we can perhaps kind of reduce its power. It's an incredible act of humility, but it's pointing forward to something much more powerful than that, isn't it? It's pointing forward to death and resurrection. It's pointing forward to how evil will be confronted and then defeated. It's not just an overwhelming act of kindness, although that is an important part of it. Actually, it's bigger than that. It's an action to reset all of creation. Jesus makes us clean. In Psalm 40, the psalmist writes... He says, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of mud and mire. He set my feet on rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. He lifts us out of slime and mud and mire and filth. Jesus cleans us. But not only that, he sets our feet on a rock. Jesus also being the rock gives us a firm place to stand. 
So Jesus cleans us. But then he's also the, the place that we build our lives on. He is the rock. And then he puts a new song in our mouth. We have a different song to sing. We have praise for him. Jesus makes us clean. That's how he defeats evil. And then we realise love is the foundation, love beats evil, but the love that Jesus is showing and explaining to us here is also to be copied. So it's interesting that the disciples are quite silent and passive, and it's almost a bit like, look, this is what it's going to be like when I'm gone. There's some stuff here for you to do that I want you to get involved in. This is a great example of what this looks like. It's an example to the church. And it's not just an example of kindness, although that's important. It's an example of actually true serving and discipleship. An example of what leadership looks like as well. And he says, look, I'm your Lord and teacher and I've washed your feet. And you should wash one another's feet as well. I've set you the example that you should do as I've done for you. And he says, look, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent you. He's saying, look, this love is to be copied. Copy what I have just done. I've washed your feet. You're not better than me. I am the master. So therefore, let's get uh, serving. He's very clear on this. Now, remember that in this story, this dinner time, death is kind of stalking this. The love of Jesus actually leads him to death, doesn't it? We see his sacrificial love. Well, how does that work? Well, actually, it leads him to death also leads him beyond that into life, doesn't it? It leads to death, then resurrection. So when we love like Jesus, that kind of leads us into death and then into life. In Luke 9, Jesus says, look, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. He says take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. When we copy Jesus, when we love like Jesus loves, we make ourselves like him. So what did he do? Well, he became a servant. He became a slave even. So we put ourselves in the same place as Jesus. When we die to ourselves, we take up our cross even. But it doesn't end there. When we do that, we become bringers of life like Jesus. So Jesus went into death so he could bring life. Actually, when we serve, when we look to love others, when we look to copy Jesus, actually we die to ourselves and we look to bring life. I was talking to a friend of mine about this recently and she was explaining to me a bit of a revelation that she had had as she served in church. And we were just talking and she was telling me, look Tim, I serve in church most weeks. That's what I do. And she was like, I don't mind doing it. It's fine. And she's got a few kids, so often ends up serving in the kids' work. Uh, And when you serve in the kids' work, you kind of turn up at church, and then you go off and you do kids' work, and then you come back out when church is finished. That tends to be how these things play out. Uh, And she's like, I don't mind doing it. But I noticed that I was doing it, but other people were deciding not to do it. And they would say, well, I'd like to be in the, in the church meeting. I'd like to hear the preach and be involved in the worship. And she was noticing somehow that being involved in the preach and the worship was more spiritual than being in serving in the kids' work. And so she got to thinking about this. And she said, Tim, okay, I believe that Jesus saved me, right? 
I was like, oh, good, I, I believe that as well. And she said, also, I believe I cannot earn my salvation. I was like, yeah, that's true, getting a bit nervous about where she was going with this. And he said, well, if that's true, if I can't earn my salvation, it doesn't matter if I serve or not, does it? I'm like, well, yeah, okay, <laughs> thinking oh, we've got a revolution on my hands. There's going to be no people serving everywhere. I'm going to have to do kids' work in six services every Sunday, uh, as well as preach. Me and Tom will do everything. The, the world will fall apart very quickly. This will go very badly wrong. But it's a genuine question. If I'm saved by grace, right, if Jesus saves me, what does it matter if I serve or not? It's a brilliant question, isn't it? It's worth pondering and thinking about. And then she says, okay, but I I prayed about this quite a lot. I'm breathing a sigh of release. I prayed about this, and I realised actually serving is to become like Jesus, isn't it? Well, yeah. So he sets us an example to copy, to serve, and it's sacrificial, right? So sometimes we can think about our serving is quite fulfilling for me, and uh, I'll serve in something which I'm really good at, and that will help me develop as a person, all of which is good, and I'm down with that, and it's fine. Uh, But actually, Jesus served, and he died. Okay, serving equals a bit of death there. He talks about, actually, we pick up our cross, and we carry it daily. That is to serve, isn't it? Very sacrificial. When you serve like that, other people get to win, and you get to lose. That's quite a position, isn't it? I was thinking about calling this sermon, Serving Equals Death. Um, but I wasn't sure it would do very well on the podcast but it's true isn't it okay actually I'm going to copy Jesus in my serving here in my sacrificial love he has called me to do that he became a slave in that moment he considered his equality with God most powerful being in the entire universe creator of all things not worth using so I'll serve instead And my friend is right. And Jesus spells it out. Says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So it doesn't end just serving equals death, does it? Actually, we are blessed to copy Jesus. As we slowly but surely, as we do these things, as we pick up our cross daily, actually, slowly but surely, you're formed and made. You become perhaps a little bit more like Jesus, step by step. Jesus is that servant king. He washes the disgusting feet of his friends. He lets go of his position, his equality, what is rightfully his. And we're very big on rights in the modern world. These things are my rights. These are mine. I should have them. And he lets go of those things to elevate other people. He walks into death, knowingly walks into death so that evil can be defeated. And not only that, he actually shows us how we can do the same. We can walk into sacrifice so that actually we play our part in slowly but surely defeating evil. But no, no, not only that, Jesus walked into death to bring life. When we sacrifice, when we serve, when we wash feet or whatever the equivalent of that will be, when we make ourselves slaves and servants, actually we copy Jesus and we bring life where we do that. Jesus calls us to this throughout the Gospels, actually, calls us to follow. And he talks to the fishermen, put down your nets and follow me. It's a call to copy. It's a call to walk towards death and sacrifice. Even this evening, I think that is a call for us. 
I think for some of us here, actually, it may be the first time you've ever heard that call. Actually, we're called to sacrifice. We're called to follow Jesus into death and then into life and to take our place in that, to take our place in building that foundation of love, take our place in defeating evil, take our place in copying Jesus. We are called into that. Thanks for listening. To explore this sermon or learn more about our church, please navigate to the links provided in this podcast description. From there, you can connect with us on social media. And you're welcome to check out the music links featured in this episode from our very own musicians. You can also discover current events and information about where we meet on Sundays and various groups or community projects that you can join in with. If you're interested in knowing more about us or wish to join us for one of our meetings, please reach out. Simply drop us an email at hello at ccm.org.uk. We look forward to connecting with you.